Can I say that uh, we in Australia are much more stringent than perhaps in other parts of the world? And someone gets a IWS certificate, which Australian officials have uh, given the OK to, you can be sure that they will meet the requirements of the athletics fraternity. People all around the world love sport. From playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So, with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. On Behind the Games podcast, we have a special guest today. We've travelled down from the Gold Coast down to Canberra to meet and speak with Dennis Wilson. Dennis, you were born in Coggera, New South Wales, on the 4th of January 1936, and you're 80 years young. What are your earliest memories of growing up in Hurstville, New South Wales? Uh, well, I think uh, when I was about three or four, it, of course it was just uh, the beginning of the Second World War, and uh, I think Hurstville was a much different place to what it is today. It was very few cars. Um, used to walk uh, from home up to the shops and uh, get a penny ice cream, and that was uh, a highlight of the day sometimes. <laughs> Were you a good student or a bit of a dreamer? No, I was a pretty good student from word go. I, I, I always had a, a bent for mathematics right from <laughs> kindergarten, I think. <laughs> In the 1950s, you competed in the St George's Schoolboys Athletics Championships and was invited by a school friend to join the St George's Club. That decision changed your life. Can you explain that time? Yes. Well, uh, I uh, was at uh, Canterbury Boys High School at the time and uh, a, uh, a fellow a student who was uh, a half-mile, one-mile runner saw me running the the school carnival and said, oh, I think you ought to uh, go go further and uh, join uh, the St George Club, which um, it just so happened at that time I was in the Boy Scouts and uh, I wanted to get my athlete's badge, so I thought, oh, that that sounds like a pretty good thing. I'll, uh, I'll go along to the club and uh, at the same time I'll uh, try and earn my badge, which uh, uh, consequently I had to run the, the 100 yards and uh, do a, a long jump and uh, and I uh, went in the half-mile handicap. I think I started off uh, the first uh, run, I think I was off 25 seconds and each week I kept on winning and uh, they kept on bringing my handicap down. That's wonderful. <laughs> and, yes, so uh, <clears throat> I did get my uh, athlete's badge and they... Uh, the president of the club was the examiner for the scouts and he wrote on the bottom, average athlete. Fantastic. Hmm. You moved to Canberra in around 1973. Canberra is a purpose-built city. We've arrived here today. Tell me a bit about the early times of Canberra. Well, it was a much much smaller city than in 1973 um, and 
that that uh, start off with uh, I was just staying in uh, hostel because uh, Judy and her daughter Lisa were still living in Sydney because we were, we'd already booked to uh, go to the uh, Commonwealth Games in Christchurch, so uh, deferred Judy and Lisa uh, moving to Canberra until early 1974. So I did experience uh, hostel living for several months and uh, uh, using the buses and getting used to the local uh, scene. Yeah, it's, mm. it's developed into a beautiful city now. In 1975, you were invited to be the president of the ACT Athletics, which was a branch of New South Wales Athletics at the time. What was your experience like there? Well, uh, the secretary of the, of the um, branch, which was in those days, uh, invited me to, to stand as the president because uh, I was fairly well-known uh, locally from my activities in Sydney. Sure. And uh, I hadn't uh, done anything about joining a club in, in Canberra, and I think they, there was probably a bit of politics in it. They thought me, saw me as an outsider who had no allegiance to any club in Canberra. So I was the president for for nine years. Wonderful. You are a Western Creek uh, Life member, number four. That's, that's great honour to be that as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, when I uh, became the president, I thought, well, I've got to sh- show on <laughs> Dinky Die. I'll, I'll join the club. And Western Creek was the the local club. Uh, and the uh, president happened to be an old sparring partner me for... Gary, Gary Hand. I was going yeah, to mention him yes, next. Because he was the same street as half, you. Another half miler runner. Yeah. <laughs> you're involved with athletics at all levels. You're also St George Life member and honourable treasurer and honourable secretary for many years. You completed for one summer season with the University of New South Wales and at InterVarsity on a number of occasions. Great times for you then? Yes, very, very busy times. <laughs> You had two years, 1967 to 69, competing with Warrington Club yeah. in England. Yeah. How did that occur? Uh, well, the, I wanted to continue my running, at, at, not at an elite level, but uh, just uh, keeping fit. And it just so happened that the the president of the Warrington Club was uh, working, uh, he was a civil engineer also, working at the Tomic Energy uh, at Risley and... Uh, you know, it was a pretty easy thing to, to make contact with a Warrington club. Absolutely. You also hold a number of positions with New South Wales, including executive member, state selector and team and state team manager. At the national level, you were vice president of Athletics Australia for a number of years, as well as chairman of the Distance Running Commission and the Race Walking Commission and a member of the officials committee. You were so busy, did you have much time to sleep? <laughs> I, managed, I managed to get home on occasion. <laughs> Um, Okay, internationally you were a member of the IAAF Technical Committee from 1985 to 2003. Can you explain a bit of that time? Uh, Well, uh, the World Cup in athletics held in Canberra in 1985 uh, was um, really a stepping stone, I suppose, uh, because there was a sudden vacancy on the Technical Committee as uh, the Oceana representative. And uh, at uh, one month's notice, I think, uh, I was asked if I would stand and, uh, and, and go to the first, first meeting in Oslo in October 1985. Wow. Uh, 
So that happened very quickly. We already planned a, a work visit to South America, so that was quickly rejigged. So we went to Oslo yep. and then flew down to South America after that. Wow, you've seen quite a lot of international travel in your time. Yes, what with athletics and with work, yes. Your particular interest in hammer and discus cages came over 20 years ago at an IAAF technical committee meeting. You doodled a hammer cage design that had cantilever gates as you were sick of pushing heavy gates that were also a great target for hammers. Young Consulting developed the concept and as a result the first cage was constructed in Canberra and the cage still stands. Tell me about that. Yes, well, uh, as you said, we were not happy with the... Uh, uh, the heavy gates, but also the fact that the gates were a target for the hammer and not it didn't do the the netting much good or or the actual hammers, so that there's a, a a double problem: the weight of moving the gates and also the the actual uh, damage that uh, occurs. Sure. Um, later concerned about the safety of the then-current IAAF design, you and a colleague carried out a series of tests using elite AIS throwers to determine an acceptable gate width. As a result, the IAAF adopted a safer design, but also accepted that the Canberra design, albeit with now 3.2 metre wide gates, also meets the latest IAAF requirement. It's now I'll bring in Trevor Bowman, who was the founder of Playhouse Sports Equipment, who then further went on to develop the concept. Trevor... Thanks very much for joining us here this morning. Tell us about your recount of the first conversation with Dennis here. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Um, <clears throat> we've been a sports equipment manufacturer for quite a few years and we'd built a hammer throw cage uh, about 15-odd years ago and uh, that was probably loosely modelled off a cage that we saw at uh, Griffith University on the Gold Coast. Yep. And uh, we didn't know a lot about cages at that stage. And then um, <clears throat> uh, having built one, uh, the local manufacturers of tracks here uh, would come to us on the odd occasion to get cages. So then we were probably building a cage every probably 18 months. And then uh, I've spoken to Dennis on and off over the years and he came to us um, would have been probably about three years ago now, maybe a little bit more, and said that um, IAAF is approving a new um, footprint, yep. which is a physically uh, smaller cage. And part of the idea of that was to uh, get costs of cages down so more clubs um, would be able to afford to to get these sorts of installations. Sure. So that's pretty much the the, the catalyst for um, coming up with a new design. Uh, and one of the key things in our design was reducing the cost because at the time, uh, at the cage we had was a steel structure. Um, you needed a crane to erect it. Uh, it took a full day to 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 put up. Um, and it was a it was an expensive item. It was a sixty thousand dollar, you know, installed item, and that was sort of a bit out of the reach of a lot of clubs. So we were looking at how to get that down. So that's how, uh, from Dennis's conversation, that's how th this new design came about. Sure. I guess the question to you, Dennis, is how did you know Trevor was uh, the one to speak to at that time? Oh, I think it's. Um 
the uh, Trevor uh, probably made contact with me early on, so I <laughs> then knew about play hard sport. Yeah, and um, it developed from there that uh, the uh, conversation got around to uh, the need to, uh, if you want it be a cage to be used in international competition, it has to have an IAAF certificate, which is expensive to get. Sure. But at least it puts you on the international stage and you, and once you uh, get recognised, that, that's the start of something bigger. Wonderful. You've actually seen the new cage design and how well it's designed and put together? No, I haven't actually uh, seen the actual cage. Um, other technical officials who are on day-to-day uh, using hammer cages have, have inspected the cage and had uh, made suggestions to, to Trevor, and which he's accepted gracefully. Yes, they're always <laughs> making suggestions to me, particularly <laughs> Graham Dwight from uh, Sydney. So he's been very helpful over the years. Yeah. Maybe you might want to explain to the listeners and to Dennis how the structure is looked from your point of view and uh, what they would see if they actually looked at the um, infield of a track. Um, okay. The, um, probably just to start with, which is what the what existing technology is, uh, cages probably haven't changed for probably 30-odd years design-wise. Mm. They've been pretty much static. Uh, they're basically a, a 10 or 11-pole structure um, with gates at the front, and generally the gates at the front are a framed metal uh, aluminium um, frame and uh, the problems with those particular designs um, they've got a very low wind rating to it which means that the the manufacturers then require the the venue operators to lower the net when it's not in use and then the other problem uh, associated with that design is that the uh, gates are being framed are a target for the hammer. So the ha- hammer will hit it. Uh, hammers are, of throwers are, uh, can get the feeling that the hammer's going to come back at them. Uh, and then, of course, you, you get net damage very early on. So probably most cages would end up having net damage most of its life. Yep. Um, so in doing the new design, um, the new design has reduced the number of poles to four uh, with a new... The new IAAF layout, that pole structure has got a three-pole setup, and then there's arms off those poles which support the rest of the net. So, uh, And then the gates are similar to the earlier designs, which, which don't have a frame on it. They have an, uh, an arm, and then it's like a curtain hanging from that arm. Yep. And then you have a, a tension at the, uh, at the gate edge, which then gives you a relatively straight edge to... Through, through. So, the the design now is is um, you, know, you don't have obstacles in the way of the hammer. Uh, you can see visually see the thrower better, um, and it just looks a far better structure in a in a new venue. It's something that actually sets it off, not detracts from the the appearance of the whole setup. Absolutely. Has there ever been? Sorry, Dennis, you're going to. Say I was just it. going to say, <laughs> an important thing for, for spectators is they have fewer. Um, blockage is the line of sight. Um, uh, yes, so fewer, fewer poles, uh, fewer obstacles to sight. Greater visibility. Has there any ever been a time where an athlete's actually been injured by a returning hammer? I haven't heard that they're actually being injured by a returning hammer, sure. but uh, the, the reason we uh, changed the design of the 
hemicage was that the, um, the, there were several deaths in Europe uh, from uh, wayward hammers. Um, the reason being that the, the danger zone was um, something like 80-odd degrees and uh, the new design reduced that to uh, 40 or something degrees. Um, Trevor, did you want to answer that? Mm. Um, yes, it was. Um, we certainly have heard of people um, being injured and um, killed during the event. So um, I think 2004, um, a new or a revamped design came out, and uh, that was probably the, the layout that we first started building cages to. Um, but now that there's two layouts that are approved by IAAF, one is the, the original uh, footprint, which puts the um, gates about seven metres in front of the uh, throwing circle. And then the newer one, the gates are 2.8 metres closer, but it still covers the same safety angle. So there's sure. no difference in, in uh, safety zone. It's just a matter of the area inside the cage has been reduced. So <clears throat> um, in reducing that, uh, we're then looking at reducing the cost for the cages. So we looked at obviously reducing the number of poles, uh, reduce our galvanising cost, and we've now tweaked that design over the last two years so that the cage doesn't require a crane to erect. So that cage now can be assembled or can be erected uh, by two people in about six hours. Um, And because it has a a Cyclone 2 wind rating, you only need to lower the net uh, when winds are up to 115 kilometres an hour and the poles can actually stay up. So in most venues around Australia where they don't have enough have people to, to manhandle these things, it's a great sort of style uh, so that a thrower can come in and throw whenever he likes without having to put nets up and that's, I think, one of the major benefits. Absolutely. Now, can I also say that uh, not having a framed gate is... is Big advantage to have had cases in Australia where a framed gate and a heavy wind swung back and demolished the, the whole cage. Yes, actually, there's also um, a herd in a Queensland uh, venue. Uh, I think they purchased an overseas cage, and within three months, the wind had picked the front gate up and took it off its hinges and was hanging by the net. So, um, um <clears throat> We clearly don't put nets down in Australia, so once once a net is up, it's there forever and a day. So, I think the other thing yeah. we've talked about, uh, Trevor, is that um, with the smaller footprint, there's also advantage for the throwers in that they've, they've effectively got a wider opening through which to throw. With, with the gates uh, 2.8 metres further away, it constricts the throwers and... Uh, I think that's a very important point. Yes, certainly is, yes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the points too is is um, <clears throat> what often happens with cages is uh, poles generally sit close to the nets and hammer throwers, and I've even seen coaches, they want to tie the nets back to the pole, they want to open the cage up for a much wider throw, but unfortunately it increases the damage, it increases the safety zone. So probably even the new design now, giving them a wide, slightly wider opening, they can have that wider opening without um, without it actually interfering with the safety zone itself. So, mm. 
Mm. I guess one of the main targets, um, Trevor, for you is to get the um, the Hammer asset placed at the Commonwealth Games coming up in 2018. What do you think you need to do to actually move through to that momentum? I talk very nicely to a few key people. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, Dennis has actually given us a couple of contacts to um, to talk to people um, in the games organising committee. Yep. And uh, we're hopeful uh, that um, we can get our cage put into that venue because, one, it shows that um, it's showcasing Gold Coast uh, ingenuity yep. uh, and it's something that will go worldwide and it shows something. And because this particular design is unique, um, it actually shows that Australia has got um, quite a few things to offer um, as far as technology goes even though we're a small country we we're certainly above our weight in um, in uh, innovation and building champions as we have with Dennis here um, <laughs> as an international official and the mm. and honored to be involved with a number of world championships Olympic games and Commonwealth games can you relive some of your best moments through that time oh, I can remember having some from uh, hairy moments uh, and, and Talking about Hammer, one comes to mind is uh, is Stuttgart. Uh, I was happened to be the, uh, the international technical official uh, at the Hammer, and um, of course uh, I was ha- having a little bit of difficulty uh, communicating with some of the uh, the German officials. But it so happened that we. At the critical time of the, the hammer throw event final, and uh, you know, the leading performers were very close. Uh, I think it was yes, it was a Hungarian uh, thrower came in to, into the circle at the throw, and at that uh, moment they were preparing for a victory ceremony, and the uh, I in the tried to indicate to the the chief judge stop stop the event but he uh, pursued it and and the thrower protested he said he uh, indicated he had to throw uh, and they they started to play the national anthem for the victory ceremony the two uh, judges the four judges out in the field turned their back on the uh, throwing circle and uh, Luckily, <laughs> the uh, throw missed them, but uh, the um, yes, the Hungarian uh, wasn't very wow. happy. <laughs> uh, luckily, his throw was a, still a good one. But, uh, I, I said, to, uh, I said to the uh, uh, the chief judge, I said. Uh, in English, I don't know if he understood, but he, he certainly would have got the meaning. We're, we're in deep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I had to uh, go, and after the event finished, I went and uh, saw the uh, the Secretary General of the IWF, who happened to be a Hungarian. I said, "We did. I did what I could at the time. I'm sorry that uh, your uh, countryman was uh, inconvenienced out there. Wow. Can you um, can you tell uh, the listeners uh, about uh, Judy, your beautiful wife, and how you met her when you were competing in Dunedin in 1960? Can you relive really that time yeah. when you? Oh met? yes, <laughs> it's going back a while now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, 
back to 1960, I was uh, invited to uh, compete in the mile at Dunedin, um, and uh, uh, and I had previously competed in uh, 1958 in the in the varsity at, in Dunedin, at, uh, probably at the same ground. That uh, yes, uh, it wasn't my uh, my best run. I but uh, I hadn't uh, <laughs> I hadn't uh, uh, looked at uh, what the likely opposition was. I just got in there and went out. Did your best. And went, ran out in front, and uh, unfortunately uh, it was it was cold weather and, and windy, and I ran out of puff, and the, the local guy <laughs> whipped past me at the finish. <laughs> anyway, uh, after the after the event. Uh, I went up to have a uh, some afternoon tea, and uh, lo and behold, uh, Judy uh, served me. We got got talking, and uh, always yeah. met. Because <laughs> Judy's uh, an athlete, a, a very well known athlete. Can you explain what uh, she yes, was? Yes, um, Judy is a sixteen-year-old uh, competed in the nineteen forty-eight Olympic Games in London. Wow! Uh, in the long jump, uh, she came seventh in the in the long jump. So in those days, uh, only the first, uh, the top uh, six got uh, an extra three jumps. Now it's eight. So uh, she only got the three jumps in. She was also a reserve for the, the women's four-by-one relay team. It was quite an experience for Judy. They took four days to fly to, to London and coming back, because it was cheaper, they had a what, suppose it was six weeks uh, sea cruise back to, really? back to Australia. <laughs> wow, it's time to change yeah. now. Yeah. Um, being part of the Australian World 4x1 Relay record team in 1959, can you name the team and the great memory of that win? Yes, uh, it was, it was um, Herb Elliott, Albert Thomas, um, uh, John... <laughs> seniors moment <laughs> and myself uh, and uh, yes we uh, only held that record for about three months I think uh, was, great time yeah. through there though yes Beautiful. it was yes are you looking forward to watching the 2016 Olympic and Paralympic Games in Rio this year well, we certainly will um, the time time difference might <laughs> make it difficult but then you can record these things and There'll be innumerable replays. Sure. Um, will you be attending the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast? Will we see you up there? No, no. I very much uh, stayed in, stay in Canberra these days. Sure. Mm. Uh, Trevor, did you have any words for Dennis? Any, um, any comments about some of his comments and uh, what you'd like to ask him? Yeah, well, firstly, it surprised me that he had such a colourful background in the athletics. I wasn't actually aware of um, a lot of that. But uh, no, Dennis has certainly been um, instrumental in helping us move forward. He's been the um, uh, main guy for technical issues and uh, probably as Sweeper, who's the Victorian um, athletics official, refers to Dennis as God. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's, it's certainly been uh, interesting for us to get more involved in athletics as, a, as an equipment manufacturer and uh, we've since had contact uh, with Sweeper and uh, Graham Dwight from Sydney 
uh, in getting our cages uh, measured and certified. And we now have three throwing cages that are IAAF certified, all of a similar design. So we have the discus cage as well, and uh, uh, we've had those three measured up and approved, and uh, that's been just been an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, good to talk to you. Yeah, and like, can I say that uh, in, uh, we in Australia are much more stringent than perhaps in other parts of the world. And so someone gets a IWS certificate, which Australian officials have uh, given the OK to, you can be sure that they're, uh, they will meet the requirements of the, of the athletics fraternity. That's that's, you said that. Yeah, that's interesting. If, in fact, when uh, Graham Dwight was up measuring our cage, he measured the circle as well because we were going to get that certified. And uh, I was a little bit concerned because I was thinking our manufacturer might have been three or four mil out in our measurement. And um, he measures it up and he looks at it, and I think it was within about two mil or something or other. And he said, um, gee whiz, I've never seen a circle this correct. And I'm thinking, well, that's what the IAAF ruling is, so mm-hmm. why should it be anything different? So well, but the big problem with um, circles like that is that uh, whilst they, they're braced, if the installer puts a vibrator up, a concrete vibrator up against them, they can go oval and then get out of the specification whilst they... The uh, circumference is okay. Mm, the, that's uh, interesting. The, the diameters may not yeah. be. Just to add also, um, Trevor, you might want to explain to Dennis um, in regards to the new partnership deal with Galathetics USA, how far it's progressed. Now you're looking at international markets. You might want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, yes. Uh, in the last um, three weeks, uh, Gill Athletics, um, who are in Champaign, just south of Chicago, um, they saw our design six months earlier at a, at a sports conference in the US and they approached us and they, they were looking for a distributorship of that and uh, they've signed up a licensing agreement to manufacture the three designs and to distribute that in North America and uh, that's a 20-year agreement and um, you know, we're very pleased that we've been able to do something which um, has probably been lacking in the industry for some time. There's been a probably um, a bit of might be complacency or it might just be sort of copying each other, uh, but designs worldwide all seem to have a very similar pattern. So um, I think they see our cage as being able to give their company a distinct point of difference and um, yeah, this, this is going to be a... Uh, journey mm. and uh, we're also looking at Europe we've got a company in France at the moment that's interested in uh, distributing our cage as well so we're hoping that over the next few years we can expand on this and um, really o- offer the venues and the users something different than what's currently available on the market. Very well said. Dennis if you could place a phone call to yourself at a young 20 year old what advice would you give to him? Well, if you're talking athletics... Uh, it's, Just in uh, general. In general. <laughs> well, I think uh, get a good education, that's the, the, uh, the first thing, and, uh, and uh, 
pursue your dream. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. You've had a really colourful history. We really appreciate spending uh, time with you this morning or into the afternoon now. Um, thanks very much for inviting us down. It's been a pleasure meeting you and your lovely wife, Judy. And uh, we want to say thank you very much and we, we wish you well. Trevor, yeah. any yeah. last words for you? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'd just like to say thanks very much, Stephen. It was uh, after all those years I've spoken to you, Dennis, and uh, I've now finally met you for the first time, and it's been a great pleasure to meet you and uh, your wife, Judy, and um, we'll be talking in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you.